Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is March the 10th, 2015, and this is episode 1531 of the Survival Podcast. And I am without internet. Yes, um, I'm sure oh, it looks like the light just came on and it might be back, but... Um, There's a bunch of rain and drizzling and misery and ice and sleet and snow while I was in sunny San Diego for a week here. And uh, I don't think it damaged anything for us personally, but I think it messed a lot of stuff up for a lot of people. And uh, the uh, cable company's out working on stuff, and it's knocking it down and bringing it back. So I'm just going to assume I'm pretty much going to be without Internet for the duration of the show. Trusty iPhone using the cellular network to get a little bit of information I need for today because this is all coming from me. And uh, some things I picked up on that I had learned at PV2 that I didn't know I learned. And what I'm going to talk about with you guys today is replacing revolutionary thinking, thinking with insurrectionist action. Uh, long live the revolution, the revolution is dead, head to the insurrection sort of type of thinking. And what the hell's the difference? Well, you'll find out in a bit. Before I do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. And sponsor of the day number one today is westernbotanicals.com. If it's herbal and it's legal in the United States, you know where you'll find it? Western Botanicals, all the herbs you need for taking care of everything from your day-to-day -day health and uh, tonifying effects to, you know, dealing with individual situations uh, that you decide you want to go to herbs for as a supplement or as primary uh, for. It's up to you. That is the world of herbalism. And there's a lot of really great stuff available there. And, you know, when you're dealing with Western Botanicals, you're dealing with a company with real people that really care. You don't, you don't call Istanbul or, or Delhi. Uh, you call people right in Utah. Uh, they work right where the herbs are made, right in the chiropractic practice that prescribes them to their own customers on a daily basis. And they're real people that will really help you. They're also great supporters of the show. They've been around an awful long time with us. And they give away their premium discount membership to all members of my support brigade. That membership's worth 50 bucks by itself. Check them out today, westernbotanicals.com. Next up today, herbs of a different kind. You know, when you're not using herbs for your health, you can actually cook for your health with herbs. That's one of the many things that Chef Keith Snow will teach you to do if you get on over to his website at HarvestEating.com. He has some of the best seasoning mixes that are mostly herbal-based that I've ever used. I use Keith Snow's products weekly here at the TSP Homestead at Nine Mile Farm. Uh, weekly is probably an understatement. It's almost daily. I won't say daily because there might be a day that I don't use a Keith Snow product, but Four, five, six times a week on average, man, I am reaching into the cupboard and pulling out something with the heart of just eating logo on it. Give his products a try, give his podcast a try, give his blog a try, and you'll see why I feel that way. Chef Keith Snow at HarvestEating.com will help you make um, cooking a life skill. And if you don't think cooking's a prepper skill, live on MREs for a while. You get an education in it really, really quick. Next up, let's take a look at the year that was the episode 1531. Quite a bit going on. We have 30,000 dead in Lisbon earthquake and tsunami. We have the Battle of Punya, the end, the beginning of the end of the Incas, and Our Lady of Guadalupe and the first Native American saint. I'm going to read the Battle of Punya. 
the beginning of the end for the Incas. I think it's very relevant to today's discussion just by serendipity and synchronicity. Francisco Pizarro was a member of the expedition when Balboa discovered the Pacific Ocean. He was also instrumental in capturing Balboa and having him beheaded. As a reward, he was made the mayor of Panama City, but he wanted more. Pizarro arranges for an expedition to Peru to find gold. On the third try, he gets a foothold on the island of Puna. Thousands of warriors swarm towards the Spaniards. With steely determination, the Spaniards lower their pikes and face the enemy. The musketeers fire into the charging throng, and the natives fall like rain. The call to charge sounds, and the cavalry raids into the mass. It's a slaughter. Next year, Pizarro will move to the mainland and capture the Inca king with an army of 200 men facing thousands. My take by Alex Shrugged. The Spaniards could never have done this 50 years ago. Their military was a ragtag group of undisciplined knotheads. But their fight against the French and the Swiss mercenaries over the kingdom of Naples forced them to change their military discipline and tactics. They became lean, mobile, and fearless. Nevertheless, the natives should have been able to overwhelm the Spaniards with numbers alone. It seems likely that Punya natives were not prepared for the muskets, didn't understand the tactics used by the Spaniards, and weren't willing to take the losses necessary to win this battle. Ultimately, the Incas didn't stand a chance. The learning curve was too steep. They had no real metal, uh, metal industry with which to build the weapons necessary to counter the Spaniards. Even if they had defeated Pizarro, they would have been other Pizarros to come. Yeah, I agree. My take by Jack Spear goes a little bit different. I don't think it was really that big a deal that the, the Spaniards had muskets. If you look at that situation, a couple hundred men with muskets, boom. Okay, a hundred muskets just fired, and boom, now you got people reloading. And you got thousands of people... They live in a jungle and know how to kill people with clubs and, you know, the machetes of the day and implements and tools. Um, if you ask any law enforcement officer that's ever done riot duty where the riot looked like it could really go over the precipice, it's horrifying. Because you realize with numbers alone, you will lose. The Spaniards really won due to their tactics. And if you look at wars throughout history, whether the weaponry of the victor was technologically superior or not, it was a radical alteration of tactics and an unanticipated of same that allowed the victor to become victorious. In other words, during the Revolutionary War, yeah, we got help from France, etc., but we did something that really wasn't done at the time. And that wasn't that we fired from the trees. That was done by both sides, really. We ran away. We ran away, and then we ran away again, and then we ran away further. In the words of Monty Python, perhaps if we run away further, it may confuse them. Um, that's what we did. That's how we wore out the British, especially in the Southern Campaign. Fight them, run away from them, make them chase you. Fight them, run away, and make them chase you. Do not engage in a battle you cannot win. Uh, this, this flew in the face of military wisdom at the time. You, you have to attack, or why go to war? In World War II... The Germans had tanks that were superior to anything that the Allies had, but the Allies developed a tactic that basically let the Germans take out a tank, and then possibly a second tank, and the third tank would get the German tank. And with superior numbers and a superior tactic, eventually the tide of the armor battle was turned in, in the European campaign. And we can go through history, all the way up to modern times, and all the way back to the first stone implements and clubs. And as... 
revolutions, as wars, as battles were fought. It was the adaptation of the tactic that won the day, not necessarily the hardware itself. An adaptation of a tactic sometimes that the enemy should have known better because it's the tactic that the enemy itself used to be victorious in the past would be Vietnam. The Vietnamese fought a war against our forces that was almost identical to the war that we fought against the British. Us leaving Vietnam was a foregone conclusion because the enemy engaged in a tactic that was superior to our tactics. Even in every measurable way, even though in every measurable way our weapons were superior, in most ways our fighting forces were superior. But our tactics were inferior, and so we lost. So it is that we face a time today where there is an infringement upon liberty. At the same time, there is a possibility of liberty that's higher. So we have this: the greatest infringement on individual liberty and freedom that's ever been imagined is coming to fruition right now. The absolute heinousness of what people are being told they're not allowed to do and can't do and putting it, being put in jail or prison for is, is just unparalleled. Yeah, we're not piking people or hanging them or beheading them in the town square, but many of the things that people will be persecuted by the state for today, under a feudal lord, the feudal lord would have chopped off the head of somebody that infringed on those things. And at the same time, because of information and a new world that we live in, we have the greatest potential for liberty of any time in human history. And those two odds are at conflict. Today's show is actually going to be about a superior tactic in a battle. And nothing really to do with weaponry. Other than I believe this, and this is something you can quote me on if no one else has ever said this, I don't know. The greatest weapon is the tactic. That just seems like somebody should have said that before, but I've never heard it. And that's what I've come to believe over the years, that the greatest weapon is the tactic. This proves nothing, but I just did an exact match search on Google for the greatest weapon is the tactic, and I found no results. So we shall see. Anyway, uh, before I get into today's show, do remember to consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you support the work I do at 18.3 cents an episode. And uh, you get a lot of really great stuff, including discounts that more than pay for the membership, like, you know, we talked about Western Botanicals today and Harvest Eating, both do really great discounts for you. Um, before we get into the main show as well, I want to make sure we do the Bob Wells Nursery Plant of the Week, the 4-in-1 Fruit Salad Tree. Um, this tree is adaptable from zones 6 through 9, so most of the United States, 6 is way up into Pennsylvania and other places, and 9 way into South Florida. It's a multi-bedded fruit tree on Nemagard rootstock with four of the following varieties. I'm going to give you more than four, so you get four of these. Um, poly white peach, harcot apricot, harkin peach, harco nectarine, superior plum. If you need more variety from a limited space, the multi-budded fruit tree is the answer. Multi-blooded fruit trees will give you a fine selection of tree-ripened fruit from space of a single tree. Find this plant more at BobWellsNursery.com. Bob Wells Nursery specializes in anything edible. Fruit trees, berry plants, nut trees, as well as other higher-defined specialty trees like these multi-graph trees. Yeah, I have a, a love-hate relationship with the multi-graph tree. I love it, and I hate it. I love it because it's cool, and I love it because it works, and I hate it because it requires a little bit of knowledge that I think some people buy it without realizing But I like this one better than some. Different varieties have different vigor, right? So, and the vigor is really obvious in things like apples. 
So there's a, a little extra pruning that goes into keeping a tree balanced when it's multigraft, and that does apply to stone fruits like peaches and apricots. It applies more in the world of apples. So if you do a multigrafted apple, it's really important that you control the vigor of, of your different uh, grafts. And a lot of times that means, and this is, this is the hard part, cutting more of something than you feel like you want to. So if you have like two really vigorous uh, grafts and two sort of kind of okay happy ones, in the first couple of years you really have to prune back the vigorous grafts to make sure you keep the tree balanced, or they'll run away with the tree. So that's the one thing to be aware of when you're doing this. Uh, but it is a very cool-looking thing, and I can see a small backyard with four or five multi-graft trees providing a lot of fruit for a very long time over a season for the owner of that backyard. So check them out today. And remember, Bob Wells Nursery does give a 10% discount to the members of the Support Brigade. And now let us get down to the brass tacks of today's show. I'd like to share with you, and I, I didn't have it in my notes. I didn't plan on ending my presentation at Permaculture Voices the way that I did. But what happened is, like usual, when I speak at a place, there's tremendous numbers of people that want to see me. And I think part of this passionate end to my talk is why my voice is so strained today. And I, I think today's show is really important, so I almost didn't do it today. Because I thought maybe it would be better if I was at the top of my game vocally. Uh, but I am at the top of my game mentally today, and I think that's more important. And I'm, I'm, I'm just out of this experience, being surrounded by other awesome people. And I want to share these thoughts with you today. But we're not talking about permaculture today at all. I mean, I think it's a part of what we're doing, but it's not the subject of today's show. It has nothing to do so much to say with you know how you plant trees in your backyard. It has to do with how we take control back and put it in our hands. And I had all these people saying... You know, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do this. And telling me in such a way that, like, if I said, okay, that's a good idea, then it would work. Or tell them, you know, do these three things with that, and then it'll work. And the truth is, I don't know if it'll work. I don't know if it'll work. I know that it can work, and I know that you can figure it out. So stop asking me, how do I, and get out there and get shit done And then when you run into problems, you will figure it out if you're engaged. How will I ever hit the ball? Get behind the plate with a bat. You know, that type of thinking. So that was weighing on me. And also this, this defeatist ideology that I was hearing from people of, well, this is failing or that's failing. Well, no shit. That's what we do what we do. So what? And what I ended up saying was something akin to the following. The time for revolution has passed. They had a chance to surrender. A revolution is a transfer of power, a transfer in power from one group of leaders to another group of leaders. An insurrection is a transfer of power from those in power into the hands of the insurrectionists themselves. And that is you. Take it back. Take it all back. Take your life back. Take your family back. Take your freedom back. Take your very morality back back. Do not support a system that is in direct opposition to your moral being and your moral fiber. If you are opposed to theft, don't participate in a system that steals from others. If you are opposed to violence, then don't participate in a violent system. Now, being a realist, here's what I believe. In permaculture, is because it's the best way I know to explain this, we have something called the edge effect. 
So if I put in a field next to a forest, there's an edge. And there's a great deal of vitality and life in that edge. The greatest abundance doesn't come from deep in the forest or the middle of the field. It comes from the edge. And there's an interactive edge. And nature requires the edge. And for the forest to advance or the field to advance, either way, there has to be an edge effect. And an edge effect in our society is when society pushes against your morality to a point where you must comply with something or end up in jail, right? So what an example of that would be would be income tax. I would prefer to tell you don't pay your income tax. Starve the beast, don't pay. But I don't want you to go to prison. Because fighting a battle from inside a prison cell is very hard. They occasionally let somebody sort of do it um, to convince you that it can be done. But really, whatever they allow is what they allow when you're in prison. So, you know, Mandela fighting a revolution from a prison wasn't really Mandela fighting a revolution from a prison. If you want to fight a revolution, you have to be out in the revolution. Once you're a prisoner of war, you can't fight it anymore. And remember, we're moving from revolutionary thinking to insurrectionist thinking. And that's the move we have to make. Because it calls to you to take these individual actions. So on the interactive edge, you might have to drive on their taxpayer-funded road because they took your money for the gas that you can only get from one place. So therefore, you're stuck with it. If you are stuck in a situation where you'd love to pull your kids out of their educational indoctrination centers, also known as public schools, but right now it is better that your children get that education than no education because you simply cannot do it in your current state, then you might have to accept that for now. If you live in a state that makes it all but impossible and you can't move for some reason. So as we look to withdraw, we must be realistic as to how far we can withdraw and when. But there's two levels of withdrawal. There's physical withdrawal and there's moralistic, idealistic withdrawal. And the, the second one's more important, to realize that I, I will not consciously give my support to these people. Every time anything I do leads to the continuation of what we have, it will be against what I desire and only because I have to. And I will not willingly give my time, my talent, my energy, my blood, or my treasure to the people that are destroying my planet, to the people that are destroying my nation, to the people that are destroying everything that is dear to me about life and liberty. I will not give it to them. F them. Okay? You want some blood for this? It's a, it's, it's a temporary thing, and I know I'll produce more. Like donating blood to the Red Cross, except I actually believe in that. But before you hold me down and make me do it, here you go, go away. And I, I would say this to you, what we are talking today is about, and I, I hesitate to use the word because I don't want to turn anybody off, because as soon as you hear the word, you, you immediately assume it means that which it does not mean. So if, if, if the time I've spent speaking to you over the years or months or days or however long you've been listening means anything to you, I ask only today that you listen with an open mind and do a critical analysis of everything I'm going to say. But what we are talking about here is anarchy, true anarchy. And true anarchy is something that people can't understand because we talked earlier about the questions, you know, how do we, you know, and that's the thing. Well, how will society work? Well, here's the good news for you. Here's the great news. Every person that you fear under an anarchist system is opposed to anarchy. From the corporate person to the bloodthirsty criminal, they're, they're terrified of anarchy. 
Because anarchy gives them both in two totally different ways, no place to hide. But what that means is they're not coming across the line. And you need to stop worrying about, well, how will we make sure Tom does X under a system like this? And only ask yourself, how will I make sure that I do what I find morally right and correct under a system like this? Because you can start living this, this way now. And you have to change your mindset in a very difficult way until you do it. And then you find out it's dramatically simple. It is the snap of the fingers. It is a microsecond. What one of our commenters, and I love this guy, Jose said on the blog, was the concepts of anarchy, while they make sense from a philosophical standpoint, are far too idealistic and intellectual to be actionable. We can't have a society like this right now. Well, every enlightened anarchist would say, you're absolutely right. We cannot have a society like this right now. And it's not what I'm proposing that we do. I'm proposing that you live this way right now in your life. Because the, the truth is, your participation in the current system is about as relevant to the election of the next president or the victor of the next war as a logo is to the functionality of a pair of jeans. You are not necessary to advance the agendas that you're opposed to. They will advance without you. And your resistance to them inside a system that was designed to give those results will not do anything. But your resistance to them outside of that system is what matters. And that's why you must slander anybody that thinks independently. And you must take a word like anarchy, which truly means the absence of an authority, not the absence of rules. Not the absence of a system, but the absence of a system that can compel someone to participate against their will. That doesn't mean it's okay to burn down churches and kill people. That's not what anarchy means. Anarchy is less about what you are not prevented from doing and more about what you're forced to do. We live in a world full of coercion. A world where people are forced to participate in a system that directly conflicts with their morality. I don't care what your political stripe is. If I sit down a Democrat, you know, a moderate Democrat, a moderate Republican, a flaming liberal progressive Democrat and an ultra-conservative religious Republican. The, the four spectrums of the political, you know, the four sectors of the, of the main political spectrum in America. And if I go all the way to the person that says, I'm a communist and proud of it, and add another one on one end, and I go all the way to the minarchist libertarian on the other end, there's one thing all of those people will agree upon. One thing. That I can find something, or likely some things, the current system is using the energy and money of the total population to accomplish and force upon others that they find morally reprehensible. That's the one thing that everybody will agree on. Yeah, there's stuff in this system that, to me, means they're taking my time, my talent, my blood, my treasure, my family, my future, my kid's future, my grandchild's future, etc., and they're taking it and they're doing shit with it that I find to be morally reprehensible. Think about that. The communist will agree with you. 
The socialist will agree with you. The Democrat, the Republican, the Libertarian, the Green Party member, everybody will agree. They're doing this to us. Let's all get back in that boat together and make it go where we want it to go. While we all fight each other inside the boat. And the people, the people that are controlling this aren't even in the boat. We're, we're like a bunch of idiots in a little boat in the middle of a, a, a fountain with a kid with a remote control. We're fighting for control of the boat while the kid steers us around circle after circle after circle. And some of you want to turn the boat and make a different circle. Some want to head for the freaking wall. Some want to head for the, the fountain in the center. Some want to stop. It doesn't matter. You're in the fountain and you don't have the control. And that is the mechanism of control. And keeping the people in the boat divided. Because the solution, the solution to that problem would be for us all to look at the fountain and all of us look at the boat and all of us to agree that this is not what we want. And then for all of us to work together to get out of the effing boat, swim to the edge of the fountain and get out of the fountain and live our own lives our own way without forcing each other to participate. But no, we want to fight about the boat while a spoiled brat, tyrannical child who is parasiting all of us has all the control. So what are the mechanisms of that control? The number one mechanism is fear and anger. Fear and anger. And if you watch the news, the news is based about 95% on fear and anger. If so-and-so doesn't do so-and-so, it's going to hurt you. So-and-so is wrong, and that's terrible. You're right, though. Have you ever noticed that the side that seeks to control you, the division that seeks your attention, the division that seeks your an answer, your, you know, that seeks to channel your anger and fear, always says you're right and everybody's stupid but you? Have you noticed that Democrats and Republicans at the political level you know, the party platform level, are perfectly divided on every single issue. There's absolutely nothing that they both really, from a marketing standpoint, agree upon, yet they both do the same things. They both incur, you know, they both take away liberty. They both increase spending. They both increase taxes. They both do the same thing. But their marketing is absolutely diametrically opposed on every issue. Do you know what that means? They're both full of shit. There's no way that intelligent people will get together and disagree on everything. It's not possible. There's no way that rational, sane, logical people can get together and disagree on everything. We were having this conversation while drinking copious amounts of beer and mead around a fire, and somebody started the whole, well, what if? Well, how would you? And I said, let's just imagine this. There's a huge group. We're all talking to each other, getting along radically different from a social aspect stand of things. So let's imagine we all are now on an island. There's enough resources for all, but they're spread out and we have different talents. How would we how would we work? Solution, 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 disagreement, discussion, resolution, solution, disagreement, talk, 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 resolution, solution, idea, 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 solution, disagreement. Resolution. So, I mean, it was like this. Bam, 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 bam. People just coming. Yeah, we could do that. Oh, that would be okay with me. Yeah, that'd be fine. People that 30 minutes earlier 
were so entrenched in their ideology. It has to be this way. We need a carbon tax. You're a communist for saying that. All of a sudden, they're like, hey, this is how we'd handle this shit. Why? Because you're having a rational, logical discussion that truly takes into account the needs of everybody that's involved in the group that you're having a discussion with. Let me tell you something, guys. Let me tell you something. That's what they do. They have a rational, logical discussion taking into account all the needs and desires and wants of the people in their group. Here's the secret. You're not in it. You're not in it. One side views a certain segment of society as their minions, and the other side sees they got their minions. And occasionally they might even have minions kill each other. But in the end, they're taking care of the needs, desires, and wants of their group. The problem is that's a group of freaking psychopaths. And they will use fear and anger, and that's why you're a minion if you're part of the system. Because the left will say, look at the minions of the right. They will go forth and destroy all. And, and then the guy that is the leader of the minions of the right will say, look at the minions of the left. They will come forth and destroy all. And then they go, <laughs> This is so easy. We sit up here and we get paid ridiculous amounts of money. We've passed laws that make it illegal legal for us to do things that they'll never be able to do. The people that pay us are actually the corporations that we both claim to be against. They fund both sides of us. We voted ourselves lifetime health care, lifetime money. When we get fired, we can go to work for the people we already work for for four to five times the money. We can insider trade to our heart's content, all while talking about fighting insider trading. And these idiots actually believe our bullshit. This is the greatest thing ever. And every once in a while, we start to wake up and they go, turn on the fear and anger. I spend the most time on this one because that is it. Other people are scary. You need us. You are right. And everyone else is the problem. Well, here's the good news. Let's say you are right. Let's say the way you think everybody should live is the best way to live. Be an anarchist. If you really believe that, be an anarchist. Because the only thing preventing you from living that way this moment is you. You don't need anybody to do that. If I, if I took over the country and said, I declare anarchy, which by the way, as an anarchist, I wouldn't be able to do. I violate my principles. But just imagine I have no principles and I discovered this thing and said, let's just do that. Right? And then it became legal for you to stop shitting in your toilet and paying for it to go away. And it was now legal for you to shit in your bucket and dump it in the street. Don't worry about if anybody else is going to do it, would you? Okay? And if it was legal for you to go next door and take all the food from your neighbor's refrigerator back to your house and then go to do it for your other neighbor and build up your prepper stores with other people's food, would you stop worrying about Tom or Tammy? Would you... Do it. And you can worry about Tom or Tammy if that's your name, and you can only worry about one of them. Would you do it? If it became legal immediately for me to create fake land parcels and sell people land that doesn't exist and take their money and run away with it and nobody could ever do anything about it, would you do it? Don't worry about Tom and Tammy, again, unless that's your name. Would you do it? And the answer from most sane, rational people is no. Let me put it to you another way. Being completely totally honest with God or the universe or whatever it is to you and yourself, do you routinely break laws? 
Do you routinely say, it's nice that there's a law about that. I may even understand why it's there, but I'm not doing it. Do you routinely break laws? Some of you are going, never, and lying. And some of you are going, never, and okay, fine, whatever. You're that tiny, tiny, tiny group of people that are easily controlled. And most of you are going, well, yeah. If you don't think so, do you always drive at or below the speed limit? Have you ever at any time in your life consumed an adult beverage and not waited the prerequisite specific amount of time? And is it possible ever that if you had ever been pulled over and given a breathalyzer that you would have been found to be illegal, even though you didn't hurt anybody? Have you ever used a substance deemed to be illegal? Including, have you ever had a really bad headache and your wife, your cousin, your brother, your roommate, whatever, had some pills left over from a prescription that were for headaches and you didn't have a prescription, but you chose to use it? Did that ever happen? Huh? Huh? And if you're in the permaculture world, do you think Joel Salatin's a good guy? Well, folks, he wrote a book called What? What is the title of the book? Those of you who are informed know what the title of the book is. Everything I want to do is illegal. You look at the people that made a difference in that world, like Ron Finley, where there's gardens popping up all over Los Angeles now because of Ron Finley. Ron Finley broke the law. He didn't go out and get a petition to get this changed. He planted shit. And then when they tore it out, he planted it again. And when they tore it out, he planted it again. And he planted shit as many places as he could until people started to say, we like this. This is our shit. Go away. Do not come take this. No, 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 no. I'm feeding my kid with this now. Get your ass out of here. At the point where the city of Los Angeles went, you know, we look really stupid here. We look really stupid here. Uh, Masanobu Fukuoka, who wrote The One Straw Revolution and Sowing Seeds in the Desert, I was just reading his book again, and in Sowing the Seeds in the Desert, he talks about going to these African nations where he's told flat out when you come in, do not incite rebellion in the farmers. It's considered treason here. Do not teach them to be self-sufficient. This is being told by the state directly to his face. You don't do this. First thing he does, start handing out seeds and explaining how it works. Breaking the law but not breaking morality. I don't think anybody that I've talked about at this point has done anything that any of you, unless you're sick in the head, would consider immoral. Do you not get outraged when children set up a lemonade stand and the, and the, and the state shuts them down? Why? Because you know there's nothing immoral about what they're doing. You know damn well they're breaking the law or they wouldn't be shut down. When they tear out somebody's front yard garden due to a city code, all but those of you who are psychopaths say this is wrong. I think that person should be able to do that. And some of you have enough courage to, in, in spite of such laws, plant your own front yard garden. All the people that we idolize the most in the world broke the law. And that's a form of anarchy. I've chosen that which applies to me, and I've chosen that which doesn't. Think deep about that. And from that point where they have you convinced that everybody else is the problem, you're right, if your side was in control, that everything would be okay, and a maniacal little kid drives the boat all over the place, and every time one side gets a little bit too much control, just rocks the boat, little back-and-forth action, stirs things up and puts it back to the status quo, which is everybody hating each other. And boy, I'll tell you what, when the people on the boat start to look around and go, hey, you know what, this is only one boat, then that boat goes into a spin, man. That kid takes left, right, up, and down at the same time. Bam! Throws that boat in a spin. We can't have that shit. 
So all that's going on, they realize to keep these people under control, we have to break down society into levels and stratifications and caste systems and class systems. We have to have all this shit in place. So we need to understand what they really need and what they really want. And then we need to bifurcate those into two areas of control and be very scientific in our utilization of them. And we take those areas into material control and immaterial control. The areas of material control are food, water, money, information, housing, energy, and travel. And the physical means by which the things that could be immaterial are represented. For other words, money. Money is used to control you in the material, but the money itself is actually immaterial. It's kind of a hybrid. Information the same way. Information manifests itself in material action. But it's also sort of kind of an area of immaterial control. And the areas of immaterial control are your interpersonal relationships, resolution of conflict, tribalism. And for immaterial control, we have to kill tribalism. Imaginary rules are, are the primary method of immaterial control. You can't do that. Everyone should go to college. Everyone should go to college is an imaginary rule that might as well be a law at this point. And tied right into that is education. Education is a hybrid too because it's manifested in the physical, yet I believe its dominant side is in, in, in the immaterial. But, but that's really how it works. We, we control you through hard goods and soft services. And we make sure that we create an air of scarcity around all of them or a, a, a belief around any of them that only the state can do it equitably. There is no way that a husband and a wife who have decided to dissolve their marriage can possibly have an equal and fair divorce proceeding without the state. When the state provides the least equitable form of conflict resolution in a divorce situation because it does nothing at all to defear, diffuse the anger between and the, the hurt between the parties and handle it in a rational manner. It actually incentivizes anger. It incentivizes one side using the children or the sword of the state to harm the other side. The entire system is designed to do this. It's disgraceful. All conflict resolution works this way. All conflict resolution handled by the state works in a way that is neither sane nor diffusional. It's infuriating. Because neither side truly has a say in how the conflict is resolved. At no point in a state proceeding for conflict resolution does, does the, the arbiter put in power by the state step back and say, Have, have you guys considered that you might voluntarily do X and you might voluntarily do Y? And could you guys go have a discussion about how that might take place and come back to me with your thoughts and let me aid you in going further? No, you go to the state and you say, I want X, and the other side says, I want Y, and the state decides whether it's X or Y. And then we parent that way. You have two kids in conflict. You're right. You're wrong. Go away. Doesn't the wise parent say, you both knock your shit off, shake hands and be friends? Or if you can't be friends, 
that don't do any harm to each other? They used to. But from a standpoint of arbitration in our schools and arbitration as parents, we're getting more like the state every day. School doesn't surprise me. It's part of the state. But parents? Two children come into conflict in a school. What they're told is they're both wrong and they're both punished. No real efforts made to determine what caused the conflict, how to resolve the conflict, and how the two students can get along or at least coexist peacefully. Lip service may be paid, played to it, but what concrete action is taken? Because we have to have these areas that we view as so impossible to solve that only the state can do it. But again, you put people into a situation, they immediately self-organize, they immediately begin to solve problems, and they immediately do it far quicker, with far more innovation, than ever gets done at a state level. But again, I know what you're thinking. But if we got rid of all the police, who would protect the homes? Private security, how would that work? Would the guy with the bigger... You don't know yet. You don't know because you've been denied the opportunity to discover that for yourself. But what if you just decided you were going to figure out that one thing and how to do it better? How could you build a truly equitable and fair method of protecting private property for people? Well, I don't know. I don't know either. I do what I do. And you go, well, I don't, that's not my thing. Then don't do that. Believe that there's someone out there that can innovate that shit. Because if I said to you, you know what we should do? Let's say it was 1980. What we should do is we should make a box that's a little bit bigger or smaller than, let's say, a deck of cards. And that box should be able to do things like test your heart rate and give you first aid advice so that we can help each other out if one of us is sick. And it should be able to give us more access to information than than an entire set of cyclopedias. And it should be quicker to access the information. And not only should it give me information, but it should give me multiple views on that information so I can de discern for myself the 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 way that 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 is that is best to apply the information that I shouldn't just see like this happened in this date this way I should hear well I don't really think that and yes it did and no it didn't and here's how it applies and here how it doesn't apply I should have access to all of that shit um, this thing should be able to be to be run for less than a hundred dollars a month in cost it should be affordable enough that anybody that really wants one can get their hands on one. It should use such insignificant amounts of energy uh, that it can be charged in a day and work for two. And it should be such a small amount of energy that it doesn't really affect your, your electric bill very much at all. It'd be cool if there was something you could plug into it and point it at the sun that would make it have just all these capabilities. Okay, um, It should do lots of other things. It should tell time. It should replace our calculators. We shouldn't need calculators anymore. That stuff should be on there. It should do things like allow instantaneous communication with anybody in the world by multiple means, by video, uh, by text, with pictures, with sound, or, or just a phone call like we make with those things plugged in the wall right now. We should have all of that in that little box. It should be something that would be able to be charged in the middle of sub-Sahara Africa and be used. It should be able to be used in Australia. It should be in Japan. It should be in China. It should democratize the entire world of information and put everybody in touch with each other. It should allow people to create businesses based on it alone. It should have put the ideas 
of a 14-year-old with purple hair and a nose ring on the same level as the ideas with somebody on a TV screen that we've all come to accept as the anchor man if the ideas are valid or better. What would you have said? How many how will we's would you have said? How many, how many ways would you have said that this is just not possible? We'd have to steal from people to build that. We would, there's no way that we could ever do something to make it affordable for almost everybody. Oh my God, that's socialism. That's communism. You own one, most likely. And if you don't, it's probably by choice. It's called a smartphone. How we do something is a direct result of being given the opportunity to figure it out. If you were walking down the street and there was no law that compelled you or forbade you from defending your fellow citizens and you saw people beating a old woman, you would intervene. If you physically could, you would. If you had to rally others so that you were strong enough, you would. If you had to call for help, you would. You would do whatever you could to save her, would you not? What law makes you do that? Why would you do that? There's a very small number of people that would take the, the perverse pleasure in committing the action or abstaining from interference. We call them psychopaths. None of them want an anarcho system. None. You want to put the drug dealer out of business? Remove the drug regulations. I'm not even saying that's the best idea tomorrow. But the fundamental reality is, if you remove the regulations around narcotics and drugs, there is not a drug dealer on planet Earth that's happy about this. When it can go through normal channels and normal systems, highly unregulated, based on quality controls and other mechanisms and known dosages, they're all out of business. So the drug dealer you fear doesn't want anarchy at all. The big, giant, evil corporation, what would they do? Oh, they, they'd shit their pants. You think the Koch brothers want anarchy? Oh, here's a great one, dude. This is something that came up out there. The next time somebody of the, the progressive, liberal, uh, we have to save the world with more socialism uh, and, and get corporations out of politics, you know, mindset comes up, and they bring up the Koch brothers, ask them two questions. How do you spell Coke? And about 70% will know with a K, not a C, K-O-A-C-H, right? Okay. So they'll feel really good at that point. And then say, what does Coke Industries do? What business are they in? It's fun. It's very fun because the person, it, it, like, they are the ones, they're such a victim of the mechanisms of control. Specifically, the immaterial control, because they don't even know what the enemy does. How many of you don't know? Be honest with yourself right now. What does Coke Industries do? What is their... Not all oh, they lobby and they have these charter schools. Whether you think that's good or bad, doesn't matter. What do they do? They're a conglomerate. They're a multinational conglomerate. They're in... Everything from cattle to fertilizer to pipeline to oil to resources and energy, fiber. That's what they do. They even make paper, for God's sakes. I'm not saying they're good or bad. 
I'm just saying the average person that's so worried about the Koch brothers doesn't even know what the company does. That says something about control. Again, you but 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 now there's no buts. If you don't even know that, how controlled are you? If you're going to start basing your your decisions, and I know you're laughing right now. If you knew the answer to that question, and you've run into people like this, but you probably are holding on to something very similar. I don't know what it is. That one's just an easy one because it's so prominent. But there's probably something like that where you have this hatred of some group or some people. You don't even know anything about them. You don't talk to them. Fear and anger. Other people are scary. You need us. You're right. Everyone else is a problem. And we need to take it all back. Not some of it. I mean, think about it this way. Think about other places that anarchy exists in your life. Who told you who to marry? Who told you who to marry? I'm sure you made that decision for yourself. In fact, I'm sure... Many people might have had somebody in their life they thought, I want to be married to this person. Or I at least want to have a relationship that could lead to marriage with this person. That other person said, not interested. No. What if the government said, we're going to mandate that by the time you're 30, if you haven't chosen a mate, one will be chosen for you? How would you feel about that idea? I mean, I could even make a socioeconomic argument for how it might be a good thing. Just in numbers. Morally, it's reprehensible. But I, I could make some sort of statist argument for this. And I could make a statist argument against this. But you're able to see the issue as cut and dry because you're looking at it purely from a moral standpoint. You, you don't do that. You know? What if the government passed a law as to what kind of clothes you were allowed to wear and said you can't wear these things, you have to wear these things? What if they told you what kind of shoes you had to wear? Would you be okay with that? So how in the hell can you pick out clothes that keep you warm without the government telling you what to do? It seems ridiculous, but I believe some of the things we allow ourselves to be convinced our necessary functions of the state today will be looked at with equal and bizarre disdain by our future generations. Like, Why did they ever do this? Why did they ever choose to educate their children in something that looked more like their prisons than a school? Why? Why did they do these things to themselves? Why did they willingly impose this tyranny upon themselves? Don't you think that when you see a picture of a guy measuring a woman's length of her bathing suit to determine whether or not it's okay for her to come on the beach. How insane is that? That was right here in America. America! Yeah! Right? Without the government, who would measure the swimsuits? And some of the moral prudes are thinking, well, that might be better than some of the things the women are wearing now. Then don't look at it. Then don't go there. Go to your own beach. Make your own world for yourself. Your own way. If your ideas are truly valid, your ideas will rise to the top. But how would we stop that? Stop that. Stop that shit. You don't know yet, and I don't know either. Here's my ideas, though, for a blueprint. With food, we just start producing it. Stop relying on somebody else for all of your food. 
and then start finding the people that are producing it, that are making direct or at least just one level exchanges. So you're buying from a, a co-op versus a conglomerate. Find the people that say, listen, the, the small grower can't possibly reach everybody. And the small grower can't compete with the multinational, you know, 40 billion acre farm. But four million of them can. And starts becoming the aggregator. So that when you're buying there, you can look at a list. You, your farmer was at least one of these people. And hell, with the technology we have, we can tell you these blueberries came from this farm. They were picked on this day right over there. Whether right over there is across the street or in Ohio, doesn't matter. You're now doing business with the actual producer for the benefit of the producer and the other producers and for yourself. We just take it back. We don't ask. You know what I said is the way you destroy a revolution is you starve the opposition. We're planting trees. You're not starving us. Good luck with that. We're not just planting systems that will feed us tomorrow. We're planting systems that will feed our children and our grandchildren. Old men are planting trees under whose shade they know they shall never sit. This philosophy is not about the next election cycle. It's not about next year. It's not about the next president. It's not even about your children other than leaving them a blueprint to continue your work. This is seventh generational thinking. This is taking what's best for you and saying, well, what's best for me is for me to live my way, my life, my way based on my beliefs and my morality and trusting others to do their, the same until such time as they infringe upon my rights and liberties or the rights and liberties of others. And again, if you want to know how, you know, try a mastermind group, an impromptu one. You could get 20 random people that don't even like each other and say, we're all going to sit down and we're all just going to pretend that this is what we have. That we can't run across the street to somebody else. That we're all stuck in this together. And we're all stuck on this little island. Here's the resources that we have. What do we do? Well, blah, blah, blah. Well, who knows how to do that? Somebody probably, somebody that even doesn't know how probably has enough skills that they're the most qualified to take that and start working with it. Somebody else can be like, I can do that a little bit and they can work together on that. Watch how quick the group self-organizes. When you're talking and you're kind of failing in energy a little bit and you see somebody's face lighting up, turn to them and look at them. Just shut up and look at them. Don't even say it's your turn to talk. Just look at them. Watch what happens. That's the interpersonal relationship that they control right now that they interfere with. When you see that person, when you're talking, and you see that person light up, that person may be a person who never gets called on to give their ideas. You stop and you look at them, and they'll, they'll be empowered about that fast because it's a basic human interpersonal relationship, and they will start talking. And then listen. Even if you're not really in love with the idea, listen for the truth in it. And when you see somebody else light up, turn your attention to them. And all of a sudden... Without anybody telling anybody to do this, one person realizing this, the whole group starts doing it. You watch the heads turn in a group. If you've ever been part of this, it's amazing what happens. All of a sudden, when there was this, just total discord, people still have radically different beliefs about what should be. But also they have radically similar beliefs about how to honor and respect each other and how to make sure that we all just have enough 
to be able to further our own goals in life. Water. It falls from the effing sky. I'm gonna, okay, I'm gonna tell you something. Some of the things you're about to hear will have more curse words than Jack usually uses. But I think it's a good time to make a point with some humor. I'm gonna play a little quick video clip for you. I'll come back and we'll finish up. But this is like a, a comedy skit from Britain. And the guy that you see is now a farmer and he's just become one. And this is what he has to say about that. Okay, again, real quick, you're going to hear the F-bomb dropped a couple times in this. So if you listen with kids and you don't want them to hear words like that, skip this. It's about one minute and 30 seconds long, 138, uh, and it's from the Mitchell and Webb situation, Farming. And if you want to look it up online, you can do it that way. I'll have a, a link in today's show notes. But here is the Mitchell and Webb situation, taking a look at farming. Please enjoy the humor and then get the reality that it contains within it. make a bit of money you should do what I did get into farming see this I got this selling corn comes out of the fucking ground I couldn't believe it you see that it's made of chicken it's actually made of chicken you kill it you got free chicken you can sell it to people Or don't kill it. Fucking eggs come out of their arses. Fucking hell. You know, sheep. Bit woolly. It's wool. Pull it off. Sell it. Fucking grows back again. You cannot lose. Brilliant. Don't even need an alarm clock. Hmm. <sighs> Unbelievable. It's only five in the morning, and I'm right where I work. And while the other poor sod's struggling in on the tube, I'm going to go and get some milk out of a cow. Who's a jammy bastard? Look at all this milk. I'm going to make a fucking fortune. So I just thought of that when I was talking about water and, you know, how do we solve that issue? It falls from the sky as rain. With, with the, the permaculture principles we talk about, we can harvest the majority of the water into our land, whether it's a quarter of an acre or a quarter million acres, doesn't matter. Whatever we have control of, we can actually design systems that put the water into our land versus having it run away. We don't even need a pond to do that, though they're useful for it. It's not necessary. So even we're, we're on the interactive edge with society, they've prohibited you from your freedom to dig a freaking hole and let it fill up with water. Yet while you tell me the solution exists within the authority of the state, I want you to clearly understand and think about that reality. They have made it illegal in some places for you to dig an effing hole and let it fill up with water that falls out of the sky. And in spite of that fact, there are ways that you can harvest that water into the land and hold more in the land 
than you can anywhere else. And I know there's places where what I'm about to tell you to do is illegal, and you either decide to be an anarchist and do it smartly anyway, or move somewhere where it's not. But you can set these things up called tanks, and when water falls on the roof of the shelter of your home, it goes in there, and you get to keep it. Water's actually one of the most dangerous long-term commodities as far as having it become unavailable, and yet it's one of the easiest problems from a mechanical standpoint for all of us to solve. So food and water we can solve. And we don't have to grow it or provide it all to ourselves to solve it, and we can solve it now. I met a guy in California that's planting trees in the Saudi Arabian desert where they get an average of rainfall of one inch a year, and it's rained three times in five years. And even though they use some irrigation, they are at a net even standpoint to the water recharging the aquifer on their system. And he's changing the lives of people there by giving them something economically viable in the middle of the desert. By solving the water problem with the simplest technology. So we can solve that problem. Money. I have multiple ways to solve the money problem. Number one, on the interactive edge where you have to interact with them, make lots of it. And be smart with it. And invest it in a system to provide you food and water. For one thing, invest it in the things you believe in. The things that you believe in. Not what Jack Spirico says to invest it in. Invest in the people you believe in, the businesses you believe in, the societal components that you believe in, but don't give it to politicians. I wish that everyone out there would create their own business and see the government for the theft that it is and then turn the system like a martial artist. Instead of using your own strength against your own enemy's strength, the stronger party generally wins then, you transfer the energy of your opponent back at him. So set up a business, then set a nonprofit up, and then give the money to your own nonprofit, and then do whatever you want with it as far as helping the world. So the money that you would have given to a person to help them further their career that would never be a deduction in tax and therefore starve the beast becomes tax deductible because it's one of the many stated missions of your nonprofit. Hello, that's what all of these giant corporations are doing. We can learn something from the cronies. We can use their technology to our own ends. Did you know that? Did you know that's how the majority of companies do their philanthropy? To unchain themselves from the shackles of what is and is not tax-deductible charity, they just create their own charity and funnel their donations through it. That doesn't mean they're cheating. Why should I look at a kid that wants an education let's say, in permaculture, and think, you know what, I'm going to spend my money to send that kid to the PRI and not have that be a, t a charitable donation. Why, why shouldn't it be? Because you gave it directly to the person that actually benefits from it without somebody siphoning off the middle? That's why? I see. Okay, screw that. Fine, I'll make my own middle, and I'll give that kid whatever I want to give him, and screw off. I'll use your system against you. I'll use your energy against you. And it's not even really against you. I'm just withdrawing my participation in your system with your own technology. And I don't want to send a kid there. Don't send a kid there. Send a kid where you want them to go. 
Do what you want to do. I don't know what you should do. I know that you should do. So money, we can handle that way. Become entrepreneurs. Make money. Make lots of it. Invest it wisely. Remove as much of it from the tax system as possible. And use things other than money. Exchange value. I don't care if it's Bitcoin. I don't care if it's silver. I don't care if it's promises. The next time you want a vacation, go to the other members of this audience and see if they'd like the vacation where you are changed. Let them live in your house for a week and you live in theirs. The next time you need food, if you know someone that produces it, look at all the things you produce or have and say, instead of money, will you take this? They might say no. There's times where, you know, I got to feed my animals. I need a certain amount of cash for that. But once that's covered, I'd actually much rather have something that's useful to me. I'd kind of like to have really high quality feed, honestly. I might sell you animal or animal product for feed. You choose how you handle that from that point forward. I'll leave it there. But money is the primary means of control because they've created scarcity of something that doesn't even really exist. It's just an illusion. They can make as much money they want tomorrow. Oh, hyperinflation. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. It's built into the system. It's a rigged game. An honest man recognizes a rigged game and seeks his entertainment elsewhere. There's not enough money for everybody. Type, type, type. There it is. It exists now. In fact, there's more money than everybody needs. 75 people have more money than the bottom half of the world. There's no scarcity of money at all, period. None. It is a lie. As soon as you see the lie, you start to realize, well, where does the value come from? The value in our world comes from living systems only, period. It comes from the earth itself. Every product, every physical product has its genesis in the earth. Every service is only possible because of the physical products that fuel the lifeblood of the person that provides the service. So take money back every way you can. Direct, indirect, I don't care. There are people that are very smart about this, that actually make a ton of money, funnel it all to charity, provide themselves everything that they need and beyond, and live incredibly happy lives without sacrificing much at all. In fact, they have so much more. And I don't mean it's some weird, like, well, I live in the jungle in a box, uh, but I have, like, this is my world now. And, you know, I'm talking about people that have all the modern conveniences of life, and they're doing good shit, and they have almost no tax footprint. One of the wealthiest people in the world does this. His name's Warren Buffett. That's why he doesn't care if you increase tax on the rich people. Because he pays himself a, a paltry salary, and he pays all expenses through his business. So he's fine with increasing taxes on rich people, because on paper, at the personal level, he has almost nothing. Use their own systems, take the money back. Information. Listening to this, you're already taking information back. You will never ever, 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 infinity, hear the words I'm telling you, anytime soon anyway, on the TV or the radio. And yeah, I'm worried that they're trying to take over the internet, but I, I don't think they can at this point. In the end, they fear us. 
They do. They really do fear us. You can't just go shutting shit off on the Internet. You can make it more difficult to access and what have you, but technology will fix that. You can't stop information. Twelve guys and a thirteenth that they added on at the end spread the message of Christianity across the world when an entire empire tried to stop it because it was an idea. <laughs> you can't stop information. But what you can do is be afraid to speak it, be afraid to point it out, be afraid to educate about it. That's how they control it. They can't actually control the information itself. An idea is energy, and energy is infinite. It cannot be created nor destroyed, only changed in form. Basic scientific laws, not theories, laws tell us this. Like gravity, you drop shit, it falls. That's a law. There's ways to break the law with aerodynamics, but they just follow other natural laws. There's natural law, there's real law. There's real shit out there. And everything else is a fabrication created to control others. Information is the direct tool at disassembling that. And not information about how they're all wrong and we're all right. But information about here's how you provide your own food, water, money, housing, energy. How you can travel. Here's how to handle your interpersonal relationships. That's what information is really all about. Housing. There's ways to build housing for next to nothing. Beautiful housing. Housing you'd want to live in more than you want to live in a four-bedroom, three-and-a-half-bath McMansion. The only thing preventing the advancement of inexpensive, easy-to-build, highly efficient housing is regulation. It is the only thing doing it. I met somebody in California that said, you know what? We put a yurt on our property, a tent. Built it ourselves for a thousand bucks. Lived there for two years to save enough money to build a proper house. When I went to get the permit, because well, you need one to build a house, off-grid, by the way, uh, for the house. They said, well, you're not living there now, are you? I said, yeah, it's where my farm is. My animals are there, whatever. Well, where do you live? Well, basically, we live in a tent. Oh, that's illegal. Can't be there for more than like three weeks or whatever it was. What? What? Oh, building codes save lives. Yeah, because if I'm building a house for myself, I'm going to specifically build it in a way that the first time a sparrow flies into it, it's going to kill me, my wife, and my kid. Sure. Sure it is. How asinine is this? Like, we can't come up with a way that people can sanity check their ideas against engineering for, like, no money at all or very little. Like, that's impossible. Like, there's, like, millions of engineers out there that can look at shit and go, yeah, no, maybe so. We can't crowdsource that environment. It's impossible. Oh, wait a minute. There's something called open source ecology, by the way, building the 50 machines mankind needs to live and giving the information away for free. Isn't that cool? Don't tell me we can't do this stuff. Housing is easy. We can make tires into houses. I don't think it's necessarily the best way to go, but it is one example of what works. And you know what? It would probably be working a lot more and a lot faster if it wasn't so daggone hard to do it from a legal standpoint. Energy. The sun comes up and the wind blows and the water flows. Okay? There are so many ways we can begin to harness energy that's wasted. 
Is the technology where it needs to be to do this at the highest levels yet? No. Somebody said to me recently, no solar panel plant makes solar panels with solar energy. Not yet. But in 1980, no one had a supercomputer in their pocket. Stop telling me what we can't do. I'm not interested in that shit anymore. Seriously. I don't have any time for it. There's way too many people that are living incredible lives that don't depend on the grid for their energy and water. And again, we're not doing it to the level where it's easy or inexpensive. But nothing we take for granted today started out easy and inexpensive. It all took innovation. And travel. Travel is a great way that we want to control people. You know, you need your papers to travel and to have a driver's license to drive down the road and a passport to leave your country, get back into your country. You need a passport and we'll decide who gets them, etc. I don't have an easy solution to this now, but I'm going to take travel down to a simpler level. Travel meaning to be able to get places, right? Government controls your ability just to go places. How about Uber, right? You know what Uber is? So here's how Uber works. The government, in conjunction with business, has created all these regulations around taxi services. And, oh, my God, people will be held up at gunpoint if we didn't have these taxi licenses and stuff. All it is is a gilding of government and corporation. You know what you call it a gilding of government and corporation? You call it fascism. So to get around this, the system of Uber, what I just learned about, and I don't even know exactly how it works yet, But you basically have an account online, and there's a network of people that drive cars. And you make a phone call, and a car shows up, and you don't even give the driver any money, so it's not a cab. And he gives you a ride someplace. That's it. Well, that sort of changes the travel equation. It costs a lot less than a cab, by the way. A lot less than a cab. And you know what happened? Have you ever heard of Rolling Thunder? It's like a big patriotic event. All these guys on motorcycles drive, and there's this Marine that puts his dress blues on, prior service Marine. We all know there's no such thing as an ex-Marine. Puts his blues on, and while the whole thing rolls through, he stands there giving the salute, and he never wavers for the entire time. It takes hours. Incredible discipline. Yeah, one of the people out there with us called an Uber, and the guy driving the car was that guy. How freaking cool is that? We can take all of this stuff back. and Well, it's not perfect. He still needs a driver's license. Yeah. Do what you can with what you have now. Take back what you can now with the goal of taking it all back. The immaterial control, interpersonal relationships. Stop identifying the people you have a conversation with based on their religion or their political ideology. That's the number one thing you can do today. But if they, they're not going to do shit. The next election will not be changed because you convinced them to be a Republican. Again, your participation in that system is irrelevant to the outcome. It doesn't mean anything, and neither does theirs. Well, they think, I don't care. What do you agree on? How much conflict would be avoided? And how much lost energy would be channeled to doing good shit? If the immediate identity between people was based on commonality versus difference. 
watch two people to start having a conversation, and one goes, were you in the military? And the other one goes, yeah, I was in the Army. Oh, I was in the Army too. The fraternity leads to this incredible conversation. Even if one's a Democrat, one's a Republican, doesn't matter. They focus on the fraternity. We all have fraternity and sorority. Because we're all humans. Let me tell you what you have in common with the person you meet. You both need food and water. And to be blunt, you both take a shit. From there, figure it out. Be an adult. Find the commonalities in the interpersonal relationships. Learn to have conversations like I described. To have a group together. And have nobody having to mediate who talks next. When you're talking and you feel that people have gotten what you had to say, start to slow down and look for somebody. Look for You'll see somebody that wants to talk. Just stop and look at them. Watch what happens. I mean, if you get a group together that knows they're doing this, it's even more powerful, but it's so quick. It's so fast. You go from people kind of sort of gazing around to heads just turning. Person A, person B, person Z, back to A. Oh, it's me now. Oh, I better say something. I don't know what to say. I'm just going to say what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking. Oh, crap. I'm not an idiot like they told me I was. Conflict resolution. I think that we should take things like conflict resolution, education, anything that is immaterial, anything that's not a physical good, no longer requires the state or any authority that you don't voluntarily want to work with. It doesn't. Now, if you want to work with a company that requires it, then you have to decide, do you want the company more or the freedom more? And It's an interactive edge. Okay, this company wants me to have insurance from State Farm or an equivalent. To do business with them, I'm going to do that. This person here and I want to enter into a contract. Not so much so one can have the upper hand or one can force upon the other, but so that both parties understand the nature of the agreement and have pre-agreed to how a, a resolution will be handled if a conflict erupts. We don't need the state for that. We don't need a, a company with a building with a name on it for that. That can be done in the cloud. You know, in Star Wars, right? Star Wars universe, the insurrection passes through at one time where Lando Calrissian lives, Cloud City. <laughs> there's no way, there's no way that that analogy's on purpose. It's too old. In the 1970s, early 80s, there was no cloud. Nobody called it that. Visionaries see the future even when they don't know that's what they're doing. The cloud city of today is the insurrection. You want to educate your kids? Educate them in the cloud. That doesn't mean everybody that you interact through the cloud with is currently operating solely there, but boy, we can. This is this virtual nation thing that I've you know talked about in the past. It's going to happen. It's a natural evolution of tribalism, which is being reborn. Tribes not based on the color of skin, but in common belief systems, and simply a desire to be involved with each other. We can fix a lot of this simply by removing it from the people who benefit by us not fixing it. You got to think about this. When a, a husband and wife have a divorce, 
and they don't immediately come to an agreement as to how it should work. And the state comes in and takes years to resolve the issue. Does the, does the wife truly benefit, even if she gets the larger share of the marital estate and some form of payment on an ongoing basis from the husband? Does she benefit from that? The answer is no. It destroys part of her soul. Does the husband, even if he gets better terms in the end, benefit from it? No. It's equally destructive to his soul. And it takes what's supposed to be the dissolving of a relationship and creates a fo forced coherence to extending that relationship after it was supposed to have been terminated. Because I can be the father of our child without being your husband. I, I, if we're divorcing, we probably shouldn't. But if we're going to, then I'm not your husband anymore. And my obligations to you as such are terminated at that point. If we're in a rational world, my obligations as a father are not to you, but to my son. And if I'm to give you support for him, then I'm to do it for him, not for your benefit. So the children benefit by a prolonged, arduous system that causes the, the, the hatred to build between the parties. Do the children benefit from this system? No. Then who does? Lawyers, judges, and the state. But who would do it without them? It's amazing how many fights can be resolved with the most simple forms of diplomacy if said diplomacy is given a chance. So let's take our conflict resolution from something as complicated as a divorce to something as simple as company A said they would deliver service B and customer C says it didn't happen. Let's take it to the cloud. Let's build these virtual nations. Not one. Let's build thousands of them. And let the best rise to the top. Let's make changing your citizenship as simple as changing your toothbrush. And let us be bound only by that which we've agreed to be bound to. If I leave virtual city A and become a citizen of virtual citizen B, my only obligations are the things I agreed to while I was there. If I have a contract with you, it will be resolved there. Much as if I had a contract in Florida with you and I moved to Texas, if we have a problem, we'll resolve the conflict in Florida. Because our contract said so. Maybe we don't even resolve our contract in Nation A or B. And no matter where either of us are residing, Our arbitrator is in C and is truly impartial and has a track record of putting both parties' best long-term interest at heart in their decisions and in their advice. What would it look like exactly? I don't know. Hopefully it would look a whole shitload of different ways. And in time, the system would reveal to us the best course of action. Let's take conflict resolution out of their hands. From now on, when you have a conflict Instead of resulting to threats, go to the other party and say, what can we do to resolve this? Most of the money in the pockets of the state due to conflict today could be taken right back out if people would do that. What's reasonable? 
If you're a woman getting a divorce and you're scared as shit, listen now because you don't know how you're going to make it on your own. You know what? You, you did it before you were married. So you say to yourself, what do I really need to make sure that I can do the things that I need to do to take care of my kids and myself? And you know when it's unreasonable and the court's telling you you're going to take 60% of a guy's check and give it to you in multiple forms of support. Don't even expect that. For God's sakes, try to save your marriage. But if you can't, realize the person you're divorcing you loved enough once to pledge your life to before. Hopefully there's enough left of that to be reasonable. All the shit we deal with with conflicts in schools could be avoided if the parent wasn't compelled to keep their kid in that school. Move your education online. At least parts of it. Take it back and ignore the imaginary rules. If you're supposed to do something, but nothing actually causes you to have to do it, and you really don't think it's your part of your world or your life or good for you, don't do it. Don't take a loan because everybody does. Take a loan because in your individual situation, it makes sense for your individual objections, objectives based on the individual situation that you're in. And have a plan to get rid of it, to exit it, etc. You don't do it because everybody does it. Don't wear the clothes that everybody else wears because they wear them if you know a better way. Don't live in a house that looks like everybody else's house. If you want to build a cabin in the woods or an earth ship in the desert, go do what you want to do. The imaginary rules are, are the, the single biggest tyranny that exists. There's so many things people like think they have to do because, well, everybody just knows that. No. Take it back. Take it all back, not some. All. And understand this. Again, I know there's people struggling with this, but what about this? What about, how would this get rid of Don't worry about everybody else. Worry about yourself first. You fix your shit. You live your life based on your morality. Find other people that want to do it, and you guys do it with your group. And go from there. Stop worrying about, well, what if everybody... Because you know what? Here's the good news for you. The bad news for me right now. Not everybody's going to do it. The people you fear the most will never do this. They're going to stay in that system you think is so important. It's going to be here for a long effing time. You're doing this for your great, 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 great grandchild. And for a better life for yourself and everybody in between you and him or her. But that's where your mentality has to be. An 80-year-old will plant a pecan seedling, knowing they'll probably never see one nut fall from it, but they'll still plant it. And if you won't plant it, then find out what's sick inside of you and heal it. I hope when I'm an old man, when I'm an old man, I hope I die with the taste of great food and great beverage on my lips. And a grafting knife in one hand and seeds in the other. You can, you can incinerate my carcass. You can bury me in a hole in the ground. You can launch me out of a freaking cannon. You can blast me in the outer space. I don't give a damn. If an old man I die that way, I will die a happy man knowing I did all I could. 
this mentality is intrinsically human, it probably makes perfect sense to you. And the only hang-up is how. It gets so easy. That which is only intellectual and impossible in the entirety of time to get everyone to do becomes immediately actionable in your own life the moment you realize you're the one that matters. This is not some self-centered, self-centric, egotistical bullshit. It is an understanding that leaders, leaders go first, but they come last. You don't have leaders in Washington. You don't have leaders in your state capital. You don't have leaders in the corporate oligarchy. You have masters. You have rulers. And the one thing masters and rulers actually fear is leadership. Because leaders, when no one's following them, they still lead. And sooner or later, someone goes, look. Look at that person. Look what they're doing. And sometimes a leader doesn't know that they have thousands of followers Because the leader wasn't saying, come with me. The leader was taking actions. And the person that's wise enough to wake up to this, they don't like follow that person directly. They just start doing the same thing. And then one day you look back and there's all these people doing these things. And you can't accept that you made it happen or you were part of it. That's leadership. It's impossible to control. You first, your choice in how you live. Withdraw your support whenever you can. When somebody wants to know which way we should use tax dollars to kill which people, just say neither and don't participate. Don't participate, except where you have to, to get by for now. Accept those required interactive edges. I'm not telling you not to pay your taxes. I don't want you in jail or prison or worse. Never use violence. Violence should only be used as a response to violence when absolutely necessary. If you charge me and there's a wall behind me, I'd rather step to the side and let you run into the wall than shoot you. If you got a knife with you, I'm probably going to shoot you. If I don't think I can get out of the way, I'm probably going to shoot you. Otherwise, I might just assist you a little bit as your face plants into the wall. The tactic is the ultimate weapon it's not the technology that's the weapon it's not the hardware that's the weapon it's the thinking that's the weapon this insurgency requires a different type of thinking that's why it might be hard for you to get on board with because i'm not asking you to believe that the best way for things to happen is for someone else's life to be altered in a way that you're okay with but it is for you to actually accept a willingness to alter your life the way you think you should that's something that sounds so ridiculously simple and safe but it's scary as shit because you know in your heart all the places you live in conflict with that every day and how in some ways it makes your existence easy Being a prisoner is easy. Being a prisoner is very easy. You get a cage, you get fed, you get some entertainment and recreation. I mean, it's not pleasant, but it's easy. Being a slave is easy. 
Your job is described for you very simply. This is the things that you do. You do it. When you do it well, you might even become a decorated slave. Hell, someday you might even graduate to indentured servant. Someday you might even have some slaves of your own. It's very easy, but it's not a very pleasant way to live. We've equated that which is simple as to being that which is pleasant. It's not pleasant to live and know you're in conflict with your own morality. It's not pleasing and pleasant to live in a way where you know the very best of what you are is contributing to that which you despise. It's not pleasing to live in a way where you realize that your will is being imposed on others even if you think it's the best choice. Most of us realize you probably shouldn't eat Big Macs every day for lunch but have no desire to pass a law saying that you can't if you choose to. Person's more likely to kill themselves with that than smoking dope once a week. You ask, you honestly, honestly answer that question. What do you think is more likely to lead to someone's death? A joint every Friday night or a Big Mac every day at noon, Monday through Friday? If we don't regulate one, why do we regulate the other? But if everybody, but will you, if you're opposed to marijuana and it was legal for other people to smoke it, are you going to start smoking it? Are you going to teach your children it's a good idea? Well, they're more likely to. No, they are more likely to or to not do something based on the morality you instill in them as an active parent than they ever are to simply do so because la ley is la ley which is Spanish for the law is the law. I asked you a question today. Do you routinely violate the law? And most of you who are honest said yes to that question. Do you expect that your children will be different? Do you expect that they will obey the laws that they feel they must or they feel are just and will disobey the laws they feel that they can get away with that they feel are unjust and immoral and should not apply to them. That's what you do. Every time you do 61 and a 55, that's what you're doing. I'm saying to myself that I think this speed is safe for where I'm at based on all my years of experience as a driver, and I'm not hurting anybody. And I don't think I'm likely to get a ticket because I even think even the cops are going to write the tickets at about 10 over here, so I'm going to go do this. Calculated judgment. Now, if I took the signs down and you're on a windy road coming down a mountain pass in the rain, you're not doing 130 miles an hour. And let me tell you something. The people that will do so anyway. It doesn't stop them. It doesn't stop them. And you know what they actually count on? This is what I said. The people that you think want anarchy don't. What stops them is the belief that I'm likely to survive this behavior because other people aren't engaged in it at the same time. The, the, the lawless are protected more by the law than the lawful in our society. The corrupt politician loves the law. The corrupt corporate entity that buys the politician loves law. Guys, the people you fear the most, the evil bastards with all the money, wrote the laws for you. They purchased your congressman. They purchased your senator. 
They purchased your president. They purchased your mayor. They purchased your governor. And they write them into effect. Why would you think that they would prefer that those laws weren't there? So accept what you have to on the interactive edges. Move everything that you can to the new cloud city. And that's both in a mechanical functionality, a technology functionality. Yes, we can put marriages and contracts and, and agreements and education into the virtual cloud. But we can move our activities and our lifestyles and our interactions and our interpersonal relationships, our interpersonal ethics. We can move those to the human cloud. I might have just coined a phrase. I don't know. The human cloud is the relationship you have with your neighbor that ignores all other authority. It's the poker game that you are having as an anarchist with your buddies in direct violation of the law. That's an interpersonal relationship that exists as a cloud. It ignores the will of the state. Yes, if you play poker with your buddies in opposition to state gambling laws, you are an anarchist in that activity. Good. Keep doing it. I think gambling's stupid, but I'd rather you guys do it that way than in the glitz and glitter of Harris Casino. At least you've all chosen to be there. and You're not being misled by each other. You all know each other. If somebody cheats, you don't necessarily have to curb them. Some of you guys know how horrible that, that little idea really is, right? But what are you going to do? If Steve cheats, Steve's not coming back next week. He's banished. Guess, guess the biggest punishment in modern organized anarcho groups. You violated the agreed upon rules. It's a serious enough violation that you've lost trust and faith of the people around you. You've given us no reason to believe that you are going to regain that faith. Bye bye. Is it vigilantism and hanging people in the streets? Bye. You no longer get to participate in the benefits of being part of this group. You'll have to go win the faith of somebody else. You're out. It's funny how things work. Here's the reality. This is the important thing. Because most people that want to convince you that an ideology is the way to go tell you what it's going to be like when, it's, when everybody does it. The reality is you will not see the full fruits of your labor in your lifetime, nor will your children or your children's children. And that seventh generation, they might not even get it because the powers that be are very powerful. But I believe that the power of a true idea, that all men are created equal and endowed in their creation with certain inalienable rights, is an idea that's too powerful to destroy. I believe that. And I believe that's what we're talking about today. And this isn't my movement, guys. I am not in control. I am not your leader. I am proud and happy to be at times a thought leader in the evolution of liberty in the hearts of men and women. But leadership in the anarcho world, in these groups and subgroups and interactive groups, is always temporary. The moment that you feel someone else can do better in the, in the activity of leading a task or a group or for a time, you step to the side and let them do it. 
And you realize that no one person, no one group can do everything well. And you're proud to see people doing other things or doing what you tried to do better. And what I gave you today, vastly incomplete. That's great. All but what ifs, how would we? Don't know. Take a long time to figure it out. But in the end, you have two, there's, there's two choices. Choice A, take control. Choice B, be controlled. No option C. There's a lot of things I say. I'm like, I could be wrong about this. I could be wrong about that. Uh-uh, not this one. No matter what you think about everything you've heard from me today, I want you to take this to heart. There's no out of this. There's no way around it. You either take control or you are being controlled. You either stay in the boat and let the people with the remote control drive the boat around while you fight everybody else in the boat or you get the F out of the boat. And you know what you do? You get out of the boat, you swim for a while, you go, oh, I need to get over there. And uh, the boat's going, boat's going that way right now. Grab on the side of it, cruise along with it. Okay, okay, it's not going to get any closer than this. Now I got to swim. Okay, now I got to where I'm going to be, do my thing. Uh, there's another boat. That boat's going that way. I'll grab onto that one. Hey, this boat's not even terrible. I'm going to get in it for a while, have a martini, uh, wait an hour before I swim, Ploosh, back off the boat. I'm going to go over here and do my thing. Hey, look at that guy. He got off that boat. Maybe maybe even though we were on different boats, maybe since we were both smart enough to get the hell off, maybe we can work together. Hey, dude, check this island out. Let's build our asses a raft. All right, let's, build, let's lash this shit together. Hey, but the boats are so much more advanced. Yeah, but they don't go where we want to go. Let's build a raft. Hey, there's a dude over there. Let's take our raft and go pick his ass up. See if he wants to get on a raft. He says, I don't know, man. I just got off a boat. Oh, this is a raft. You can get off any time. You know, when you get off that other boat, how you have to sneak off the boat, we'll let you leave and we'll let you come back. It's up to you. Right? This is the rules of our raft. We were going over there. You want to come with us? Yeah. And he goes, you know what I know how to do? I go, what, man? I know how to make a sail. Well, F it A, man. Let's make a sail. We make a sail. Now we can move around a little bit better. We cruise up behind a boat. It's going where we want to go. Throw out, and you, you throw your hands out and grab onto it. Some dude sees you and goes, hey, man, can I get in your raft? We look at the raft and go, it's big enough. Yeah, come on, man. He climbs down our arms. We ride to where we were going. We let go. He goes, where are we going now? Going over here. You want to go with us? Yeah, I want to go there. Okay, cool. And he goes, you know what? The next time we want to like follow another boat, instead of this human bridge stuff, what if we had a bigger raft? What if we had some more lashings? We could lash to that boat and kick back while they towed us there. Oh, that sounds cool. We don't know how to make cordage. Let me, you know what? If we go over that island over there, I can make cordage. All right, let's go. This is a metaphor. Don't take it too literally. He whips up some cordage. We use the cordage as a tow rope now. And we make the raft bigger so we can have more people in our groups. We find some people on an island and they go, your raft is awesome. We go, you want to come with us? And they go, yeah, it's not quite the raft we're looking for. Let us show you how to build one of your own. And then you do what you want with it. And when we pass on the currents, if we can help each other, we will. And if we can't help each other at the time, we won't. And we'll just live peacefully and coexist. Yeah, but the guys in the boats are shooting guns at each other. Yeah, but we're not going to shoot guns at each other. We're not going to take sides with them. Right? We're going to exist this way. Oh, okay. You really trust us to show us how to build a raft? Come on, man. Let's go. We'll build it with you. 
Here's your raft, man. Sail with us when you want to and go where you want when you want to. Just don't interfere with where we go and we won't interfere with you where you go. Pretty soon there's more rafts and more people on them than there are in the boat. But it's not a fountain. It's not one kid or a group of kids with remote controls. It's the whole world. There's a lot of people with some big-ass boats and some really advanced remote control systems. But they're stuck in what works. They don't have the tactics. They can't even think the way I've described for you today. It all starts with you. Stop worrying about Tom and Tammy, unless you're Tom and Tammy, and then worry about only one Tom or one Tammy. Worry about you. Worry about your children. Worry about your spouse. Worry about your friends that want to get out of the boat with you. Friends of yours that want to stay in the boat, say, you know what, dude? When the boat's heading over there, I'm going to pull my raft up behind it, follow along. I'll even climb in with you and have a margarita or something. And then I'm going to get back on my raft and go over here. If you ever change your mind, you know how to find me. You know how to find me. But I don't think you... Dude, you you don't, don't worry about what I do. Don't worry about what I do. But man, this boat is awesome. This is the right boat. We just have to get those guys on the other side of it to, to get to agree with us. They're the closest people we can find. And we're going we're gonna, to... Nah, man, look. I, I don't do that. I, I only use boats that are going where I want to go until they start to go away from that. And then I get out and I use a raft. I use a raft in the middle. I'll be over there. I'm going to go chill out over there. I'm going to go plant some trees, man. You, you do what you want. It's way more powerful than, man, you have to come with me. This is the best thing ever. You're stupid for staying in that boat. Making, staying in that boat makes you a statist. That's dumb. That's dumb. That's creating enemies of your friends. You need to be making friends out of your enemies. In the words of Mark Shepard, I don't have to like you to work with you. Funny thing is, when you don't like somebody, but you do work with them, sooner or later you tend to end up liking them. That's a little secret the people in power don't want you to know. They're afraid of you. They're afraid of you. Every politician out there is more afraid of a single person who realizes these truths and abstains than they are of ten people voting for the other person against them in an election. Because win or lose, they've already won. Win or lose, they've already won. Absolutely, guys. So take control or be controlled. There is no option C. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't.
Revolution.